Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. This is Michael Anthony Ingram. Welcome to the program. My special guest tonight is Kim Ports Parsons. Not only is Kim a noted poet, She's also one of the organizers of the Facebook group Cultivating Voices Live Poetry. I view her as being, based on her work with Cultivating Voices, a source for creative inspiration. Kim, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much, Michael Anthony. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Yes, yes. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful occasion. Let's begin our journey together, okay? Sounds good. What is poetry? Poetry is so many things to me, Michael. Um, It is a source of great joy for me, of great sustenance and nourishment at the soul level. It is a powerful way to communicate, to express, to share. I think um, at its core for me, it is about connection, um, between myself and the subject matter and the writing process and then out into the world, whether in written form or spoken form, to connect to other people and hopefully through the sharing to connect in our humanity and be touched in a positive way. Um, Joy Harjo talks about poetry being a kind of prayer And it is a kind of prayer for me. It is kind of a sacred thing to me in the sense that you, you, by engaging in poetry as a writer, as a listener, as a reader, um, you're really paying great, loving, caring attention to the human experience and through, you know, through the medium of poetry. And so it's 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 pretty you know central to my life. It's um, it's a gift. Well, what are some of the predominant themes of your work? Um, I would say that um, throughout my life, I've been drawn to write about the natural world to a human's relationship to the natural world, my own personal connection to it, to uh, I've been, I I focus a lot on family relationships and intimate relationships throughout my life, Um, ways to try to understand the human (laughs) experience and to... um, to grapple with it and to help perhaps in the sharing, um, as I said earlier, to connect with others uh, through that sharing maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and I, I do think that comes through in, in, in the relationships that I write about. And, and, and then I'd say, thirdly, I tend to um, kind of ask big questions a lot. You know, I'm a kind of cerebral person uh, some of the time, or a lot of the mm-hmm. time. And so I might ask myself, well, what does this teach me about being alive or being a human or how to be good or, you know, how to make a difference in the world, you know, even if it's in some small way of like how to be kind or or how to negotiate, you know, this path through life. So I, I often find as I work on some of my poetry that I am grappling with big life questions. Big life questions that really, really amaze me. Um, please share a poem. Sure. Um, well, you know, I'll start with a poem that um, I wrote in the last couple of years, and and uh, before I read it, I'll just tell this little snippet about. Um, my experience with poetry. So for a long period of time, from my 30s till just a few years ago, in my early 50s, I, I kind of became frustrated with trying to negotiate the um, traditional uh, role of the poet in like the academic kind of environment where I was teaching. Yes. And mm-hmm. the pressure to publish and to publish in certain places and to you know compete for certain types of awards and so on, and I um, I kind of went underground and and stopped participating in that publicly and would only share my my work among friends and family for a long period of time, and then a, a few years ago um, that changed and the door kind of reopened for me and I think I'm in a different place in my life now where I feel like I can just do it for the love of it. And yes. it's really interesting because I wrote this poem not really realizing that I was writing about that in a way. And um, this this poem is, uh, the title comes from a line in an Emily Dickinson poem, Hope is the Thing with Feathers, which comes from poem number 254 by Emily Dickinson. Hope is the Thing with Feathers. The starling jumps down into the hole, bits of brown clutched in her yellow beak. The cheeping from below is an echo of yearning. Once a summer storm yanked this trunk in two. Hidden in the tangled growth, a wound becomes a refuge. The gutters This side of the roof, so long neglected, sprouts seedlings which lean into the white rail and wave. Ladies at a balustrade, happy passengers about to embark on a doomed ship. This balcony floats, tethered among the branches, billowing sails of leaf-printed silk, Inhale and exhale sunlight over shadow. No one loves a starling, yet she weathers the swales. 
such a bird, each spring commandeers the heart. She prepares a nest and ties it fast, wants to set sail, to fling caution to the wind. She perches on the mast and with rusty clicks and old tin whistles, she starts to sing. Thank you. That, to me, that poem goes back to asking the big questions. What is life? What is hope? Mm -hmm. Very powerful piece. Very powerful piece. Thank you. And, you know, looking around at the simplest things around you and just paying attention to them and saying, you know, look, life keeps going. Yes, it does. You know, it just keeps going. Yes, it does, whether you want it to or not. It keeps going. It keeps going. That is so, so true. So you know, you can you can hide or you can sing. <laughs> you know, I like that Kim. <laughs> so I love that. Like, you can hide you know, or you it, can sing. So choose to sing. You know, we're going back to like, what is poetry? It is the choice to yes. sing. That needs to be on a T-shirt. <laughs> oh, on I a t-shirt that. or a cap <laughs> yeah. do it before that's, I do it All right. That's how, how does a poem begin for you with an image, an idea or a form you know it depends on the poem um, I, I often say that I listen for poems I listen hmm. Meaning, for example, I, I, you know, I talked about, you know, spending a lot of time in nature and getting a lot of my inspiration from nature. But part of that might mean that I am out taking a walk. You know, I'm taking my dog for a walk, or, or I'm working in my garden. I'm a big gardener, and I, I'm being silent in the sense of being receptive, and I'm really listening. And that means, you know, it means listening to yourself, like your own thoughts, right, as they bubble up. But it also means like maybe listening if a little memory comes up for you or listening to the world around you and seeing if it's, you know, telling you something or maybe you see something extraordinary and it, it clicks inside of you, you know. And so that's one way that I will sometimes like a, a phrase or an image or something profound kind of hits me and and I will be like, whoa, I have to stop what I'm doing and go write this down, and then we just go mm-hmm. from there, you know, in the process. Other times it's it's very interesting. It seems like a poem might be ha- maybe has been cooking inside of me without my even realizing it. And a phrase will bubble up for me or jump out at me in a conversation I'm having with someone like, whoa, that was the, that was the key to the lock, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and suddenly I'm like, oh, and I'll sit down, and it'll almost write itself completely. Um, and it has to do, I think, with, like, my brain has sort of been ruminating over this, and I didn't even know, you know, or my soul or my heart or whatever it is. Um, and then, um, and then sometimes an idea or an image is so fascinating to me that I just kind of chew on it and chew on it, and I'll go read about it, and I'll you know investigate. Maybe other people have written about it, and I'll, I'll, I almost uh, pursue it like an intellectual exercise in a way. 
But if it doesn't have that emotional connection or that um, image that really inspires me, then it's probably never going to make its way into a poem. You know, mm-hmm. um, you can be curious about a lot of things in life and think about them. And in my case, you know, only only those ones that are really going to, I think, connect back to a strong feeling or a or a strong, compelling image are probably going to make it into some poetry. Let's go back into your past, all right? Okay. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Oh, my gosh, it's so interesting that you asked me that question because because uh, I think about that question a lot. I've been writing. I have been writing poetry. I'm really not kidding you. Since I was like maybe seven. I'm not saying it was all great, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) But the compulsion. (laughs) No, no. The the compulsion has been there for most of my life, and part of it, I think, comes from my mom, who was Mm. a. She loved words language, singing, rhyming, Shakespeare. She loved to memorize poetry. She wrote when she was a young girl. She sang to us. She read aloud to us. She had memorized many nursery rhymes and and old, you know, um, poetry by Robert Louis Stevenson. And, you know, we have this joke in my family that all my sisters and I, there's three sisters, that we, like, <laughs> name a pop song and we can sing all the words for anyone at any time. <laughs> and it really comes from this love of language that I think comes directly from my mom from a very early time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then... Um, um my father was um was of both of my parents have passed so i'm speaking of them yes. you know early in my life um was an incre- he was able to be incredibly patient and meticulous with small intricate things he was very good at fixing things he um he was a fly fisherman and would tie his own flies and he he was good at untangling things or repairing things. And I think that poetry is like that too. You know, it's maybe not the same medium, right? But that kind yes. of being willy, willing to sit with something and work at it. Yes, yes, I agree. With it and move it around and figure it out, you know, I think. Um, and then, you know, as I, as I grew, I had this compulsion. So I, I, was, I read like crazy. You know, I just, I've read like crazy my whole life. I love to read anything, information, <laughs> poetry, fiction, anything. And so pretty soon I found my way into, like, you know, being inspired by real poets who are, you know, doing beautiful things with language. Um, and that you know that is a that is a love that has never died for me. I mean, I'm very passionate reader of poetry to this day. Well, please share another poem. Well, you know, since we talked about origins, I've been working recently on a poem called First Paper," and this is an example of having an image, literally a photograph someone sent me just 
work on me and work on me, you know, until I wrote about it. And the image was a photograph of the home place where I grew up. Uh, Someone I know, the son of a former neighbor, eventually bought the home place. And he sent me a picture of the kitchen completely gutted for a renovation. And when they were doing the gutting of the kitchen, they found some writing on the wall underneath all the layers. And here I had this image, and so eventually what ended up happening is I wrote this poem about that. And it is a little bit of an origin story in terms of, like, what makes you want to write, you know. So here we go. First paper. The kitchen down to its bones. Fridge gone. Sink gone. No faux brick above the double oven. No oven. No arguments at the dinner table. No table. No mother stirring the soup. All five layers of linoleum, scratched by high chairs, stained by jello, scuffed by school shoes, lifted, the book of our decades withdrawn. The new owners sent pictures, blue paneling removed, red, white, and blue wallpaper torn away, stubborn scraps patterned like a child's loud pajamas. My father's calculations on scarred plaster, time capsule in carpenter's pencil. He wasn't angry that day, though surely we were underfoot, no help at all. He whistled in splattered trousers, his strong left hand flourished the wall. How is it possible I remember, mesmerized as my sister traced and sounded out the words and grinned under his rare praise? It was all hieroglyphics to me, lines and shapes vibrating with the unknown. He printed his signature, polytechnic style, in square and leaning capitals, our names, formal and proud, the date and a declaration. My daughters helped remove old paper. As if to say to some admiring future world, behold, We were here. We made this. Book me a passage. Steer past this aging surface, unadorned and listing south. Past the adoring wife, the lonely shoals, the siren, the supplicant, all that pasting and painting and putty knifing of the self. Keep going all the way back to that face looking up, reaching for the pencil to make my own marks.
Thank you. I was there with you. Oh, great. I was literally, literally, figuratively, either one. I was there with you. Um, Wow. The emotion in that piece. Do you think someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Well, you know, there's lots of different, there's as much, you know, there's as much different poetry as there are people writing it, you know. So mm-hmm. is it, uh, some poetry is very, you know, from from the light and whimsical to the, to the, you know, the angry to the, to the lovelorn to the, you know, lonely. Um, to me, emotion is, is central, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. just such a big facet of who we are as human beings. Yes, but, I agree. I agree. But uh, you know, so it, it, a poem, I think, for me, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely, and often has many emotions. And I often, in the writing of the poem, try to figure out what they are and how to convey them as simply as possible because, you know, it's so complex. And, of course, once the reader has the poem, whether they're listening or reading, who knows where the emotions will will take them. Could be someplace very different than it took me. And that seems, you know, but I, I don't know. I guess so it would be hard for me to imagine writing a poem purely as an intellectual exercise. There'd have to be just as strong an emotional motivation, I think, for me. You know, your speaking voice is so calming. Oh, thank you. What what is the relationship, do you think, between your speaking voice and your written voice? Are you the same person? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, You know... I almost never um let me let me say a couple of things about voice. I really yes. love poetry aloud. Okay? I I love yes. to listen to it out loud. And I love to um I love poems in which I feel like someone could speak this on their best day. Like at their best moment, these are words that could really come out of someone's mouth. In other words, if it strays too far away for me in my writing from my actual conversational self, right? Mm-hmm. Something then something feels a little wrong for me. If it gets too disconnected from the way I would speak or the way language would would flow just out of someone. This is not to say that you're not sitting there crafting and trying hard and you're, you know, to make it the best it could be and everything. But mm-hmm. but but I think that when you can find the music in everyday speech, when you can find the music in the words and phrases we use all the time and reveal that somehow and let that sing I think that's really when poetry is like at its best for me. So nice. <laughs> oh, let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Mm. 
Yes, sir. All great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Wow. Well, you know, I feel like that's like a week-long program, Michael. How, how long can we talk? <laughs> You're welcome back. You're welcome back anytime. You can move in if you want. <laughs> so let me let me say that there are so many, but I'm I you know probably the most important poet in my life is Joy Harjo. When I was in graduate school in the 90s with Sandy Yanone, my fabulous friend, uh, who yes. was on your show last night, um, yes. we went to graduate school together at the University of Nebraska. Really? And, yes, we did. <laughs> and that's how we became friends like 30 years oh, ago, my... 25 I, years I ago. I always yeah. wanted to ask about the connection. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> Yes, yes. So we go way, way back to when we were baby poets. And, yes. Um, and I, at that, during that period of time, uh, Joy Harjo's book, She Had Some Horses, came out. And it changed my life. I did not, up until that time, ever really hear a woman poet who was somewhat of a contemporary in the sense that, you know, mm-hmm. she wasn't, you know, from, she she was alive in the world and she was in the middle of her, you know, the, the, sort of the younger middle of her life. And so I was like, here she is. And, and she was um, writing poetry that was just like, wow, I didn't know... I didn't know it was allowed. You know what I mean? It was like it was like door opening, barrier breaking, soul shaking stuff for me. And in the, one of her next books, uh, In Mad Love and War, perhaps her favorite, my favorite of her poems. You know, though she's still writing amazing poetry all the time, and it's like every one I read is my next favorite. But there's a poem, uh, there's a poem, Eagle Poem, at the end of that book, which says, To pray you open your whole self to sky, to earth, to sun, to moon, the one whole voice that is you. And know there is more that you can't see, can't hear, can't know, except in moments steadily growing and in languages that aren't always sound, but other circles of motion. And I, it's one of the few, I'm not very good at memorizing poetry. I, get, I just have so much of it in my head, I guess. I go back and I read it from the text, you know, keep the yes. text close. But that's, those are lines that have stayed with me. And I think... Um, it connects back to what I said about acknowledging poetry as a kind of sacred, um, a sacred practice of giving love, time, attention, respect, voice to to all sorts of things in the human experience and in the world. And so she's just a hugely important poet to me. Another poet, if for very different reasons, who's hugely important to me since since the days of being a student, 
is uh, Ruth Stone, who was an amazing poet um, from New. Uh, eventually, there's now the Ruth Stone Foundation in Vermont. She um, she just had this incredible originality and strength of voice and. I loved the way she would take incredibly down-to-earth things like hanging laundry and connect them to huge life questions in her work. And I think that goes back to something I had said to you earlier about mm-hmm. both honoring the, you know, the everyday, the, the almost pedestrian, you know, the things that are just around us all the time. Yes. Um, but seeing, you know, taking the time to see what they say about the really big questions, you know, of what does it mean to be here? What does it mean to be alive? And to find a way to express that in, in a few lines. And so Ruth Stone is another poet who just is hugely important to me for that reason. Mm-hmm. So there's a million others. Sandy's one of them, you know. She she and I have helped each other with our poetry since going back to, you know, our 20s. So. Um, I I feel like I she said something last night that really really resonated with me which is to say every time I read poetry you know that a new poem or hear a new poet I learn something yes what do you think think you learn what do you think you learn that's my question Oh, what's possible for poetry? You know, Emily Dickinson said, "I dwell in possibility." Yes. You know, and and so I could never write all the things that all these amazing poets write because it's because I'm me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I learn, and they they teach me, and they show me new ways and new possibilities, and maybe it trickles back into my work or inspires something in me. Um, you know, I think that that sharing poetry and community and really listening and lifting other voices um, is just crucial to my own writing. It's just, it feeds me, you know. Well, let's imagine for a moment that a poem is like a cake, all right? Okay. What are some of the prevalent ingredients that go into the concoction we call a poem. I th- I think you have to have a kind of um, uh, intimacy or um, with with the subject matter. All right. I th- I think that's something I'm good at is. Or, or what what fascinates me or drives me is to take something small and really go deep. Okay, so to to really, you know, to really see that whatever it is, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay, that acorn, you know. And so I would say, um, emotion we talked about reverence you know the sense of the sacred of the sacredness of life and that this is a an expression of that um intimacy with the subject matter and i think um love of language surely would help but but not in the sense of language for its own sake 
because I think that can just bog down into just, you know, uh, calling attention to itself too much. All right. I, I, Share I, another point. Oh, that would be great. We talked before about <laughs> inspiration. Can I, let, let me say that I am just so pleased that you're here. Oh, really thank am. you. I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed so... talking to you. I could listen to you all evening. What you're sharing about poetry is so important. It's so real. Oh, you're thank there. you, Michael. Thank you're you. there. You're there. Thank you. I um, right. well, it's you know, it's it's one of the fa- my favorite things. Um, I, I'd like to read a poem, partly inspired by my mother, partly inspired by one of my heroes, Ella Fitzgerald. And you know, I talked about from very early on in my life being sort of taught how to fall in love with music and words and um, I think how that's, you know, fed me in my life. And so this is a poem called Ella, Two Ways. And thank you, Ella Fitzgerald, for the gift of you. Thank you, Ella Fitzgerald, for the gift of you. Okay, Ella, Two Ways. One, Mama takes me to hear her sing when I'm 18, Ella's 66, and my mother's a teenager again. Ella glides on stage in a long orange spangled gown, round glasses flashing, and she pours out the gold. Forget arthritis, forget worn out, forget things to do, forget supper to cook, forget this battle or that, forget it. If one of Ella's records starts to play, Mama's spine sits up and takes notice. Her knees bounce and her feet start to hop. Ella's singing. Ella's swinging. Ella's making the living easy. Now the brightest spangles are the ones flying out of Ella's throat, charging the air all the way to the nosebleeds, blowing down the theater walls behind us, from the first stretched and twisted tones to the last, showering everything with syncopated stardust. Two, when Ella sings, she dances a stairway of 24 notes, brings a basket full of strawberries, warm bread, and sweet cream butter, summer heat shimmering, clouds scudding, chasing blue skies after a storm. When Ella sings, she spreads her song like a quilt of velvet cords wrapped around lonely, a dream work of sighs, a belly full of ache, an earthquake in the heart. She mesmerizes devils, calls forth angels. When Ella sings, her voice becomes a dream of flying, darting here and there, hovering, weaving like a web, like a dragonfly wing, catching each facet of the light, glistening fractals, tangles, bangles, and beads. When Ella sings, she pours the clean, clear, cold water over the stones of living, over and down, sliding, slipping into a pool below, splashing as it falls. She wipes her brow, dries our sorry tears. When Ella sings, she lingers long at that deep blue pool, 
mist rises, light refracts, then her song swims out past the breakers, then further still to a calm sea, bobs and floats there, slowly turns, begins to stroke back, gathers strength, swells, rises on the crest of a wave. She herself is shaping a curving rhythm. She is riding, and she carries us with her over and over, pulling the ropes tied at the very core until finally the crescendo before she lays us down ever so gently back on the shore. Thank you. What I'd like to play now is Stardust by Ella Fitzgerald. I assume yes. the music being played is for educational purposes and permissible under fair use principles in the U.S. copyright law. Everyone, Ella Fitzgerald, Hoagie Carmichael's Stardust. <laughs> Well, taking place. You know that the 
I, I wanted to share that particular version of Ella singing. It's so tender and mournful and beautiful and luxurious. And, you know, that that song was my mom and dad's favorite song, or one of oh, the really? very top, yeah. And And I told you about how, you know, my mom was very... Um, moved by poetry and music and would sing, you know, and would would memorize words and sort of taught all that to us. And when she was, I helped take care of her in the last few years of her life and near the mm-hmm. end, you know, was with her around the clock with taking turns with my sisters and the caregivers. And one of the only things that would really uh, calm her and comfort her and help her was if we sat and sang with her or sang to her I should say or played music for her but mostly if we sang to her and so um, I've written a poem actually about singing stardust to my mother when the night before she died oh wow and so the, the Ella connection is huge because it was like a uh, it was like another voice in my family almost my mother yes. is her absolute favorite singer and 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 I should say that you know great song lyricists you know my mother taught me to value that and and um mm-hmm. and you know she would she would t- talk to me about it she'd say like listen to that isn't that poetry you know and um, and sing and remember some phrase or some word would remind her, and she'd sing a verse of some song to me, you know, and 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 so this was like a really rich part of of her life, and and I'm so I feel like it was a gift she gave me, and then you know I ended up writing a poem about this experience I had um, right before she died when when I was singing to her. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to read that one. I'd love to hear. Thank you. So the title is Singing Stardust the Night Before. Everyone's gone to rest, but my head's lying next to hers on the hospital bed. The low light from the kitchen shows her profile, eyes shut, mouth slack. For now, the slight gurgle is gone. My right arm's falling asleep, my left hand placed over the blanket, ready to hold on if the agony returns. I sing in her ear, a little off-key from memory, conjuring Hoagie's tune that coils up and up and down. For hours today, she has ridden a runaway train, strained to escape, begged, no, crushed everyone's fingers. My voice falters on dream in vain, but I push through the lump and try to call love through my throat to transfuse a faraway dream through her ear, dancing with my father 
her look adoring, his arms claiming her, her body cleaving to his. Oh, my, they could dance. I want this song to carry her off this track to another time, a big band spinning a mixed-up, perfect melody of now and next and long ago, notes that dip low, then linger, then yearn. Her eyebrows begin to lift with the tune. Then she opens her eyes as I repeat again the last refrain. And she looks up at the ceiling and smiles at someone, coyly tilts her face, and then she lifts her arms from under the covers And I watch with wonder as she raises both arms, wraps them, I see now, around his neck, pulls herself to him long ago, pulls him to her in the dusk, how she presses her lips impossibly once again. To his. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Wow. I don't know what to say. So you asked me earlier about deep emotion. I don't know if you can go yes. much deeper than that. No, you can't. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians artists, and I'm going to add musicians as well as poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you? I I, I don't know. I, I hope. I, I Sometimes I chide myself that I don't have bigger things to say, you know. And then mm. I think, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The whole thing that motivates me is... This is life, here and now, right here, this slice of bread, this, you know, holding this this person's hand who's dying. This is life, right here and now. Yes. And, and so, you know, I think that all those folks you mentioned, they help us laugh at that. They help mm-hmm. us see it in a new way. They help us to honor it when other people are going through it, you know, to have empathy, Right. To, yes. to get outside of our own skin and experience what someone else is experiencing. And I don't know if I think that that um, it's those little moments in life, um, this is it. You know, it's not a dress rehearsal, right? <laughs> it's not a dress yes, rehearsal. Uh, so any time we can pay it close attention, I think, is, is, is then we're doing our job. Well... There is so much happening in this world that we live in. And as I shared with Sandy, it's the, and I, as I share with everyone, it's the good, bad, and indifferent of the world in which we live in. What do you see as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? I guess this extends that question. What is the role of a poet? Right. 
Oh my gosh, I think there's many roles, right? You know, I, okay. I, I, I sometimes, I, I sometimes think about, you know, every Sunday, all these folks show up, you know, uh, mm-hmm. cultivating voices for poetry readings. Sometimes they're really focused on the work of some, you know, some new books that have come out by some new poets, and so we're all paying very close attention to a handful of people's work and honoring that and listening deeply, and. And, you know, here, learning from them and being opened up by them and connecting with them. And, and so, like, the poet's role partly is what I've been talking about, right, is, like, getting us to see, uh, to hear, to pay attention, to look around, to listen, to learn, to be opened up, right, by, by the experiences and the ideas and the feelings that are shared in the poetry. Um, I think also, you know, it can wake us up, right? It can wake us yes. up. It can um, completely uh, lift the top of our head off, right? We can be like, I, you know, um, we can be changed, like a chemical reaction. And mm. and I think anyone who has the ability to powerfully write about things that will wake us up and shake us up and make us see the world in new ways, um, that's all to the good. And then I also just think about how this is a world where everything is so monetized, right? It's so commercialized. Yes, it it's so glamorized. It's so slicked over. It's so produced. It's so, um, you know, competitive, blah, 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 right? And then, And it's violent and it's angry and it's mean and it's selfish and it's greedy and all these these things that we do not want to be at least i don't want to be mm-hmm. yes and do po- poetry is almost like you know art in general and for me poetry it's almost like the opposite intention right um it's a gift it's a giving it's a it's a paying attention it's a honoring it's a listening and we need so much more of that in this world, you know. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. We are back. I am here with the amazing Kim Porce Parsons. Kim, this is a call-in show, and someone called in. I'd like to bring oh, this my person goodness. online. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fabulous. Right. Hello. Uh, Hello. You're on the you're on the air. It's Sammy. Is this who I think it is? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, first, I just want to say um, just how poignant it is to, you know, hear hear Kim your poetry um, here for me in the Pacific Northwest in the dusk, and you know, every word's been resonating with me at the end of this day. But my, you know, my question as you talked about the power of of poetry as um, a necessity for us to listen. You listen to so much poetry. I know that because of the work that we do together. And thank you, and thank you, and thank you. But I'm wondering today, as I'm listening so closely to your just exquisite work, that I'm wondering what is it what it's like for a person like you who listens to poetry so much to be able to share your poetry with others? Wow. Great question. Wow. Great question. It, it, it feels so um, deeply meaningful to me. Um, It feels uh, like such a gift that you're giving me, Michael. To to say, I want to hear, I want to listen, and it, it, I know I've told Sandy this before, and I will, I'll just say now in part of conversation. When I know that after this, I will enjoy the listening to others even more. It's like I will be, even though I'm the one reading poetry out loud, my work, it's it's like filling me up like a feast with, um, mm-hmm. and uh, the sharing of it, you know, to be able to share it. And um, I I will now turn toward reading, you know, I, I have several books of poetry sitting, you know, and, and each morning I begin my day with listening or reading uh, other people's work. And it's it's kind of like love, you know. The more you open up to it, the more you can give. And the more you give, the more you receive. It's like a positive expansion, you know. It's it, it, there's a funny saying like, you know, when when people get equal rights, it's not like a pie. It's not like they're taking away rights from you to get equal rights, right? You know, and I I think this is a similar thing. It's like by somehow um, getting a chance to share my work, it's it 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 oh it fills me up and and feels incredibly gratifying and satisfying. And I I want to open up another book and and read someone else's work. Uh, it's like it leads back to the to the love of the art, you know, to keep going and to keep learning and um, keep hearing new work and and keep being inspired and be part of a community, you know, a uh, a poetic community. So wow. I don't. Do you feel that way too, Michael? That when you know that it's just it's like a beautiful. Oh, don't, don't ask me. <laughs> don't ask you. Oh, okay. Oh. Yes, you know but, that but, 
that it's nourishing, I that it's feel mutually that way. I nourishing. I do feel that way as well. I really do. Uh, I was thinking, oh, my God, what would I say if she asked me that question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you did. <laughs> yeah. It's but like I, art I feel makes the same more way. art, you know. It opens yes, us up. Yes, it, it does. It does. And we both, we all listen to so much poetry, so much of it. Yeah. How could it not shape you? Yeah. How could yeah. it not? I guess it's thank you, that, Sandy. Yeah, thank you, Sandy. That was awesome. That was awesome. You still there, Sandy? Yes, thank you for the feast. <laughs> you guys are incredible. <laughs> we we um I I have to say that, you know, I Sandy thanks me all the time for the work I do for cultivating voices, but it is a, it is nothing but a joy. Period. Mm-hmm. The end. It is it is joy after joy, and um, it feeds me so much. You know, it is so yes. nourishing to me and inspiring to me, and it has been part of this reawakening of poetic community in my life that from the last few years as I talked about earlier that it's just it's just an incredible gift for which I am hugely grateful. Well, as I shared with Sandy yesterday, I feel that that group Cultivating Voices has changed the face of poetry on Facebook. And um It's for me to attend whenever I have an opportunity to. It uplifts me every single time, every single time. Um, I think, you know, we set out, uh, Sandy set out to make a space in which voices would be lifted. Cultivating voices, you know, is about let's, by sharing and being in community with each other, we will help grow, you know our own mm-hmm. and each other's voices and and there's enough pie for everyone you know what i mean it's it's yes. like it, it doesn't have to be a hierarchy it doesn't have to be old school you know well we're the elite and you're not and you know it right. it can be right. an open supportive yes. encouraging community and um yes. i really think that's what we have and so it is just a privilege and a joy to be part of it uh, on a weekly basis. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? You know, I do. <laughs> Although I often have no confidence about that. I mean, I'm often like, well, this is what I do. So I thought of an image. I was like, if he asked me about this, I'm going to. This is, this is the image that comes to my mind, because natural images often are what comes to my mind. It's yeah. like... I I'm nothing, but at least it's my nothing. For example, oh, wow. think of think of um, think of, and then you know what do I mean by that? Well, think of the way, let's say, uh, a, a milkweed, a milkweed, a wild milkweed, blows its seeds. You know, they have these like they they sort of blow on the wind. You know, they they have these, mm-hmm. and, and and you know. And so they blow across, you know, acres and acres and acres and acres and miles and miles, you know, and there's one milkweed plant, right? And it's blowing its seeds out, and the seeds are flying everywhere. And one seed germinates and makes another milkweed. And 
maybe nobody really sees it or values it, but a monarch butterfly lands on it and drinks the nectar and lays its eggs, you know. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I feel like as a poet, if one if one monarch butterfly lands, and I've helped, you know what I'm you know what I'm saying? Yes, on, on I, do poem, I do understand. I do I'm good. That's all I need to know. You know what I mean? And so well, I. I just feel like it's something I've always been compelled to do and I will be compelled to do until I my brain doesn't work anymore. And oh, wow. and you know uh, hopefully the monarchs will land. You know that's kind of how I feel, but I'll do it anyway. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow. You know we're almost at the end of our time together. But we do have time for one more poem. Please share one more. Okay. Um, do you, I, I should I read a short? Do I have time for a short or a medium or a long? Maybe whatever uh, you desire. Whatever's on your whatever heart. Whatever I desire. All right. Well, then I'd like to end with a poem that is uh, the title poem of the book manuscript that I am hoping to publish. The title of the poem is the Mayapple forest and i think the only thing you need to kind of get in your mind to listen to this is that may apples are a plant that grow in the woods that are only about like six or ten inches high at the most they're very small okay so to say it's a forest is a little bit of a you know that's sort of part of what the poem is about Okay, so the Mayapple Forest. She does not walk in bare feet on damp leaves, light on spongy ground. She does not cup a pale green bud still and swelling in her curious palm. She comes and goes, looks at me with large brown eyes she doesn't have, eyes like her father's. When she does not smile, her dimples show like mine. My daughter, Lucy Rose, the one I do not have. Lucinda for my great-great-grandmother, Rose for old-fashioned rambling ones, yellow as rich cream, simply petaled and fragrant. We don't hold hands or turn around the fairy ring of mushrooms rising in the orchard. She does not remind me to sit by the stream to let my mind move with watery light. The may apples rise as the wheel turns, lifting their shining shoulders. One morning, not there. The next, dozens of glistening sheaths pushing up from the womb of the forest floor. Leaves closed as the stem lengthens, all sprung from one root, connected, 
slowly unfolding, opening bright umbrella cells almost in unison, waxy and wrinkled, discovering their shape, then flexing out fully, tip to tip, a green quilt of six-pointed stars at my feet. Lucy Rose doesn't know why she's drawn here when she doesn't come walking. She does not ask me to lie down here on the reassuring earth, though I do as she says. Be very still. Be an acorn falling here, underneath. Look up. Breathe in the singular flowers nodding from the axle of two leaves on the female stems, pale chiffon faces across the colony turned each to each, one or two facing slightly away, lost in thought, circle of children gathering to play under a bright moon, pale stones set just so in a shaded garden. I do not see her moving beneath this tender sky, inches above the litterfall. I do not see her as she touches a stalk here or there, or as she reaches to finger the first pale fruit. She is not listening to the oak and its saplings. She does not call me to join her. She leaves no shadow. She doesn't turn back. Farther and farther into the dappled tangle until she might be just a leaf rustling under the mayapple forest. The world accepts its own dying recreates itself cell by cell. Thank you. Wow. What, the very last thing I'll ask you, what have you learned about yourself being a poet, from being a poet? What have you learned about yourself? Um, patience. Restraint. Um, enthusiasm gets you started. Yes. Passion gets you started. Uh, being in love with the subject matter gets you started. Um, you know, feeling drawn or driven to, to work on something gets you started, right? Yeah, that motivation, the strong emotion we talked about, but... But I think this last poem, for example, is a case in point. It's it's taken me several years to write this poem, and mm-hmm. it's because I I I realized I was trying to go into something that's very hard for me to talk about. Yes, yes. To to have not had the the, the daughter that I thought I was going to have, and yes. um, and so I. I would step away and come, I would say to myself, now we're going to just rest. 
and I'm going to put this aside, and I'm going to come back to this. And I and so that kind of um, that kind of balance between pursuing your passion, um, following your dream, you know, going for it, you know, all those forward impulses, but also mm-hmm. learning to be kind of calm and patient and taking time and letting things cook and um, trusting the process and, and working at things, you know. So and I think it kind of ends up trickling out and having applications in life, right, you know, where you think about, like, uh, having maybe uh, times when you say to yourself, just listen right now, you know. Yes, just take this in and let this sit inside you for a while, you know. It's, it's so it's it, it it is teaching me something about how to be in the world besides, you know, how to write a poem. Um uh, things take time, you know. They come in their own time. We're at the end, Kim. Oh, it's been amazing. Thank you. <laughs> All I can say is thank you so much for sharing your gift with us. That's all I can say. Well, thank you for giving me this chance to be with you and to talk about poetry and yes. poetic community and to share. Yes. yes. You I know, love I wish your you program. Nothing, not, thank you. I wish you nothing but the best. I think you're absolutely incredible. And the work well, that you do is so important, so important. Week out, weekend after weekend, after, you're there, <laughs> you know, doing the work. And uh, I love it. I love it. Well, well, thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been amazing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. To our listening audience, we've had a blast tonight. I want to thank you for tuning in. And as I share with you every week, let poetry ring. Be safe out there. Take care of yourselves. Good night. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.